Thank you. Gentlemen. Good show. Welcome to another hour, another two live hours on Texas Sports Unfiltered, both the YouTube channel and the free app that you can find by searching Texas Sports Unfiltered in your Apple or Android app stores. I am Trey Elling, joined alongside by my best friend. It is the great Kevin Dunn. What's up, Katie? How we doing today? Good. How are you doing? You're running errands. I heard that. I am the 2.45 to 3 o'clock time frame is a tight one for me because I picked the kids up at 2.45, which means park five minutes away from school, walk over to school, walk back with the kids, and it's still feels hot, even though technically it's a little bit cooler. 101 is sadly a little bit cooler. It's also more humid today. And then get in the car and make sure we're back here by three. Now we haven't run into any hitches just yet with this plan. Knock on wood. So that is what the 15 minutes, let's say 20 minutes before three to five gets going looks like for me. Yeah, we will at some point, but uh, I called you and you're like, picking up the kids. I'm like, what? Or you called me and I was like, really? So <laughs> you got back quickly, man. Very impressive. Yeah, it's just par for the course. I know I know where my time is. I hate that time is a thing. I wish we could operate without clocks, but I'm also someone who is very keen to the idea that being late does the other person a bit of a disservice. So I try to make sure that I am five minutes early. Doesn't always happen that way, especially with kids, but right. that's just here we are right now. So um, what's your take after the weekend with Texas, college football, whatever? We're obviously going to talk a lot of college football as we should. And we're going to talk about the new college football clocks. And I'm sure you and I will disagree a bunch on that, uh, even though I'm right. Um, and, but UT, Dion, whatever, Texas state, what's your takeaway? Like main takeaway. My biggest takeaway is week one is beginning to end. Why I love this sport so much. You got a little bit of everything. You got the expected with some blowout wins the unexpected with Texas State beating Baylor, Texas Tech losing to Wyoming, just Longhorn football happening in general, but picking up a win, even if it wasn't completely satisfactory. You got a, an interesting top 10 matchup that turned into a bit of a blowout by the end, but that was a fun game to watch. And you even did get a couple of upsets too, including that Deion Sanders coach Colorado team that myself and plenty of others still believe isn't going to be all that good this year. Well, guess what? TCU also isn't very good and they played above their heads for much of last season and they've come crashing back down to earth now. Now, should they have lost to Colorado? Probably not, but apparently there were some sour grapes because Dion's son, who is the quarterback there now a record setting quarterback there felt slighted by Kendall Bryles, who was the new TCU OC several years ago at a football camp and wanted to make a statement in that game. And sure enough, he, his dad, and the Buffs did that. But then you also have things being capped off with 
Clemson getting upset by Duke last night in a game where even throughout a good chunk of the second half, it felt like Clemson was on the verge of taking control. They'd get inside Duke's 20 or 10 and then blow it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. A fumble. You had a blocked field goal. You had a shanked field goal that was such a bad shank that it looked like it had to have been blocked, even though it wasn't. But then that final fumble inside the red zone and Duke returned it into Clemson territory, really sealed the deal. Just all in all, it was a great weekend, a great first weekend of college football. How about you? It wasn't a great weekend. Uh, You know, the sport I love is dead to some degree, and I kind of feel that. And um, it's moving way too quickly. Most people agree with that. And I get it that they're trying to package something into – a certain time period and but a uh, spectrum espn and the new clock made it the most un- unenjoyable first weekend of my life for college football well i'm sorry to hear that my friend we've helped to yeah, first world problems i'm okay Help to solve part of that problem you and i have so you're not going to have an issue with spectrum and espn yep. going forward hopefully As far as the clock issue, as someone who is a proponent of them figuring out a way to speed these games up and get them from three and a half to four hours down to three to three and a half, who overall was for the changes that were proposed and made, I also said at the time when they decided on the details specific to when the clock was continuing to run, that they were allowing it to continue to run after first downs and I believe even out at bounds plays far too deep into the second and fourth quarters. And I think we did see some examples of that. Uh, I don't remember if it was as much last night, but really on Saturday for sure, where it did feel like it was doing a disservice to the game. So in a sense, I agree with you, even if on the larger point, you and I are on different sides. We may be, but I always told you I'm cool with, you know, a four and a half hour game, tighten it up outside of me and we've had fun with it that you've got a family and you're trying to get out you're trying to do stuff and i don't i want as long as i can go four and a half hours is a long game like any game tighten that up but they've tightened it up in different ways by the way that was a year ago where they went to the sideline out of bounds and restarted it at 30 um because texas didn't know that rule in a game some stupid game they lost and they're trying to come back and didn't know that. And the clock's running, and they're taking time. That shouldn't be there. The first down deal, is it, it, it really has impacted the game. Chip Kelly, Lane Kiffin, different people, coaches have talked about it, and I could feel it. You know, I'm also a baseball guy who was a little opposed to the rules changes, specifically the, you know, the clock. Well, that's a play clock which they really didn't have. We had that in college football. And so the, it, it changed the game to me in a large way. Not one game was changed to me. Duke beats Clemson probably 35-7 last night if they don't have that. But we'll get into it later, how you can really manipulate that rule. But also, I mean, for me, you know me. I'm just being honest about it. I'll give it time. I don't need that much more time. It's changed the best game in the world. There was not a problem with college football. There was a problem with MLB. 
Now, I understand you and, and people with families are like, I'd like it tighter. There's a way to get it tighter with less ads and less reviews. Tighten that up and not totally changing the game for 100 years. Yeah, I'd like to see them tweak the rule to have that clock stopping like it did all the way up until this year. Let's say with five minutes to go in each half, but... I know you. I know you want it raised to ten or fifteen or at least, at least eight, man. And, and out of bounds, don't restart it at thirty. Restart it at fifteen. So if they really want to delay that and try and get fifteen more off, you play clock at fifteen. You go out of bounds under or over two. Restart it. it, it there are easy ways to do it. Um, and let's get into it right now. So they were restarting the clock over two minutes on offensive and defensive penalties. Oh, this is so easy, man. If I'm up, if I'm an underdog and up 14 or 17 with 11 minutes to go, and I'm in your, I'm, I'm inside your 30 ball game, ball game. I will take false start after false start with one second on the play clock. Go back to the one yard line. We're down to 210 at that point. I'll walk out of the back of the end zone. Belichick would have a field day with this. That is very Belichickian of you. Kudos on that one, because that is a loophole in the rule that you could 100% exploit. And while we're talking about rule changes that need to happen sooner rather than later, let's go ahead and rethink what happens when a guy gets busted for targeting on a fourth down or technically the quarterback had gone down and the play is dead. And so it's the set of downs is over with what happened in Clemson Duke last night. You can, I don't even know if you can argue at this point that that wasn't a penalty based on the, the rules. That was a penalty based on the rules, but how is that a penalty yet? The offense is still also kind of punished there to where they receive 15 yards, but it turns out that the Clemson defense is taking the field that very next play because the set of downs is officially considered over with before the hit happened. Well, because, I mean, I knew what happened five years ago on the radio. I told you they're going to go to a running clock and they're going to go to no out of bounds and they're going to try and do whatever they can to make the pool bigger. So the pool is already big. It's probably the second biggest sport in America, but they want to make that pool bigger because that's what corporations do. That's what any entity who we all hate who puts rat poison in your water, that's what they do. Like it, it, it's never big enough. The shareholders are never happy enough. You can always grow that pond. And that's what they've done. Um, but on both those, I mean, on both rule changes, the rule change with that one is kind of being a really smart, dumb guy. And you just don't, you're too inside your own head. The other one is straight corporate greed. So let's call that out because the times of the games are about the same, brother. It's more ads and less action. That's we built this up. Us as little people, the 99%, the little people, which is most of us, built it up and forced them to add college game day in 90. And then 93, to put it on the road. And to add to all this stuff that we see now in college football. But once they get big enough, they're going to turn that around and screw us. And that's what's happening. Um, I got enough reaction last night. 
I thought it'd be 50-50, man, when I put it out on Twitter. No. 120 likes and two people said, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, but here's why. Oh, I get why. But nobody likes it outside of people with, you know, kiddos. But even then, a lot of them are like, hey, hey, man, you get nothing but tax breaks, okay? You know, you had your kids. Love them. Great. I didn't. Both can be right decisions. And you get your tax breaks. You get a lot of financial breaks. I don't. You may have to swallow some stuff and eat it when you can't watch the end of a game. You're right about the commercials becoming excessive. And this is already a sport that had a hard time with that. There were a few examples. Gosh, and I feel like there was a really good one in Florida State LSU maybe where they are taking the commercial break right up to when the game action starts again to where they came back from commercial break and the ball was literally snapped within five seconds because the offense was getting impatient. And it was what were typically, I guess, two and a half minute breaks last year, or sometimes three have been stretched into a four to four and a half minute range Yep, would be my guess. I don't know for sure. And normally I pay closer attention to this at Texas games. I wasn't looking at what those, commercial clocks were saying when the guy who was letting everybody know how much longer you have until the TVs turn back on or the cameras turn back on the red is put on uh, I guess it's Campbell Williams field at DKR. Yeah. Red hat guy, which usually, I mean, I, I'm sure they were all over that, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, incrementally, like any legislation, they have slowly built different stuff in that ruins the timing, ruins the flow, ruins now the game. I mean, last night's game was was too quick. Like I said, Duke wins either way. But when you have teams, who is it? Duke had 11 plays in the third quarter, man. We have teams getting seven or eight possessions in a game. No, stop. Baseball needed the change, or at least I didn't think so, but enough people did. College football is fine. Don't add to the pot so much that, that you're going to really change the product. Any top salesperson will tell you, if the product's great, that's number one. We'll work around that. Yeah, I'm looking right now to see if we have an average length of game because I believe the Texas Rice game, which was well in hand in the fourth quarter, went around three and a half hours, which was typical of a year ago. And the nationally televised games that we all watched over these last couple of nights, they went a similar length too, even though both of those games were runaway victories for Florida State and Duke. So if the uh, college football, I don't even know who's making these rules anymore. I guess it's the executive committee that's made up of university presidents, athletics directors, Bill Hancock of the college football playoff. Like their rationale was to shorten the overall lengths of these games. And it was under that office. Right. Definitely ESPN who runs all this now. I don't. So look, ESPN decision makers may have been in that room. Scratch may they were in that room, but they don't have official votes, but they're also in the ears of Sankey. I mean, they're in the ears of everybody. I know that CBS and Fox do have deals with certain leagues too, specifically the big 10 going forward, 
But for people who aren't aware of this, when the college football playoff expands to 12 teams next year, ESPN has first right of refusal on the final seven games of the college football playoff. So ESPN is essentially operating a monopoly right now. And you need to look no further than last Thursday night's game where they're in a squabble with Spectrum and it's become a bit of a he said, she said story. And I certainly don't feel bad for either of those behemoths. I feel bad for people who are reliant on them to actually watch games throughout the course of the weekend. But I wouldn't pass uh, put it past ESPN to essentially say, you know what? You're not going to charge a couple more bucks per customer. Screw you. You don't get games right at the start of football season. See how you like that and your support lines. Totally agree. I mean, Fox, I mean, Fox wants it too. It's I mean, it's not just ESPN and Disney. It's any corporation like that that's running. They want to make sure they can, you know, it, it's appealing to a broader market, which is the bigger lake, the bigger pond. Um, and it's also charging more for advertising dollars because we're actually getting more because you can put more ads on. I mean, the fact that the game, the, the time is staying close to the same and the game, the game, the actual game, the product feels altered and not in a good way at all. And to where I, there'll be games this year, results where I'll tell you most other years it doesn't happen. That's not good. So that I'm, aside. Less, I'm less pumped up about college football than I ever have been in my life. Uh, that bums me out to hear. I understand honest, man. why you feel that way. But we do still have game action, even if it's less throughout the course of that three and a half hours. There was still stuff you watched on the field over the weekend that is sticking out in your mind. So you and I talked a lot of Texas Rice, obviously in the post game on Saturday. And we will certainly get to that at some point during the next hour and 40 minutes or so, but what else stuck out to you this weekend on the field? I mean, uh, I would think that, that with, you know, we already had a bunch of upsets in college football our whole life, which is great. I love that. Um, so we don't, we didn't need anything else. We talked about 2001 Miami last week that even that team almost lost. Like it's hard to go undefeated. But we saw some upsets that I thought were really cool. And I hate to say it now. I don't know. I think they would have happened without that. But I don't know because the game felt that much different to me. Just a MIO opinion, in my opinion. Um, but Texas State, I mean, like that, that was a big-time win. So you look at Baylor, TCU, and Texas Tech. What's going on there? I think what's going on there is the big 12 is maybe a little bit more down than even the biggest pessimists were predicting heading into the season. Yeah, no, I, then I, again, I, I yeah, I think you're probably right. Then again, you, Oklahoma. Go ahead. Then again, Oklahoma and Kansas state took care of business. Kansas looks good. Even with their backup quarterback in, Central Florida blew out their opponents. Cincinnati did also. West Virginia went West Virginia. Neil Brown's probably going to be the first Big 12 coach fired this year. 
the Big 12 Phil, Phil Collinses did what a lot of people didn't think they would, and that's beat a pretty solid UTSA program. So it was a bit of a mix, but considering how much stock Joey McGuire put into Texas Tech, but a lot of people nationally were putting it into Texas Tech and their ability to make some noise in the conference, that was a shocker. People were going in different directions with Baylor. And I was certainly in that category that even if Baylor isn't necessarily good this year, I thought they would bounce back at least a little bit. And that would be a hard game for Texas, that first conference game in Waco. And it still may very well be, but they're in deep trouble right now. Like people were already asking questions about if Shapin could be the guy at quarterback. And he is a gamer and I like him for that reason, but I think that works against him at times too. They're backup that kid that they got from Mississippi state for at least half of a game, he was terrible. And if they're going to be without Blake shaping until October, their season is, is almost finished before it got going. Yes. Sawyer Magoo, right? Something Uh, along those lines. Magoo's wrong. Sawyer's right though. Yeah. But I mean, he can run a little bit. What'd you say? So Sawyer McGillicuddy. There you go. Right. Um, but he fumbled late. I mean, that looked like a legit win. They got TJ Sanders. They've done a great job. I mean, maybe the takeaway from the weekend is with Colorado and Texas State, who they added. And, you know, we talked about Colorado. I mean, if you watch, Jackson State was on when Nolan was on last year two or three times. Shadur Sanders was legit. Did I think he'd go for 510 against TCU? No. Did I think that him and Travis Hunter, the number one recruit, would transfer? And I mean, translate, yeah. I didn't think the other people would be there. And obviously, TCU's probably down. But I think the takeaway, maybe those two teams adding that many transfers and winning, now we'll see how how they can sustain that. The other thing, too, is what I love after week one, one thing that hadn't changed in college football, is the reaction of people up and down on teams. And we'll get to Texas here, obviously, and probably a little bit of both of that. But... Like, calm down. I mean, if you've been watching for longer than three years, you know week one is a lot different than a lot of weeks. How many Iowa State or Kansas State teams lost to Johnston in week one and then ended up beating Texas or winning the Big 12? So is it a more fair assessment to say after week one that Texas Tech – is not going to be nearly as good as a lot of people thought they would be, or that Clemson is not going to be a college football playoff contender by November. I would say Clemson because I think, I mean, people, I I don't think nationally people were really building up tech. Um, We talked about Clemson last week and we said, we have no, no idea about the ACC and I said, I go, I, I mean, I'd probably take Clemson of all these teams. I didn't realize Florida State was going to look that good. And they would easily be the team after week one to pick. And North Carolina looked good. Um, but you kind of lean with what you've seen. But the biggest question with Clemson, and we talked about it, I told you, I said, wide receiver on the outside. I mean, they had Mike Williams, T. Higgins, Justin Ross. Um, they had a 5'8 white kid who looked like an accountant who's been to Pro Bowls, and Hunter Renfro, Amari, like, that was the biggest, that's the biggest difference. I also backed up DJ the last couple of years because 
their offensive line and outside and skill guys weren't that good. Cade wasn't good. I mean, I've been watching Cade for a long time. I've seen him play probably nine bad quarters, and two or three were last night. So he's got a little ways to go, too. But Clemson is just not – even they're tackling defensively. They're, they're not where they were. That, that we can say they're not going to – that's not a college playoff team. I don't care how much better they get. Now, it will be next year when, you know, when uh, Austin P's in there. I'm down. I'm down. I mean, yeah, it's a simple. Down. I'm sorry. I'm down. I loved it forever. It was the only sport that, that has been and 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 the greedy people, the people that shouldn't be part of it are are turning it into still a great sport, but it's not the same. It, it wasn't in week one for me. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yeah, as far as Clemson is concerned... Or maybe you just let him be the one guy who tries to beat you. You stop Will Shipley. They've got nothing else on that side of the ball. Nothing. And their defense was better than the offense last night. But they were clearly gassed by the end, too, being forced back on the field suddenly after just a continual string of gaffes by the offense or special team when they should have been scoring, I don't know, seven points, seven points, three points, seven points. Like that game should have been over midway through the fourth quarter in Clemson's favor, but it was one of those fluke contests that reminds you that playing the game can be the great equalizer, even if there's a disparity in talent. Like was clear with Duke and Clemson last night. Like Duke's quarterback is good, and that big running back of theirs, he is a uh, tough guy to bring down, and they were active on that defensive front too, but Duke had no business winning that game, but they stepped up and made plays on national TV in front of a home crowd while Clemson wilted under the pressure. And speaking of, this isn't as much greed as it is a certain sanctimoniousness. Like I love watching Dabo squirm on the sidelines and get frustrated because his team isn't that good because this is a guy a couple of years ago who was lamenting, (laughs) and maybe you agree with him right now, that the sport was about to be ruined yeah. By all these additional factors that were coming into play. We Meanwhile, agree. he's making. We agree, but on different I think stuff. that the. Yeah, the, the line of criticism was a little bit different. And his was a bigger problem with NIL than anything else. But I think it all speaks to the same general idea. And that is money rules all. Yeah. No, you're right about that. I mean, yeah, different different takes from both of us and I think NILs, you know, should have happened probably a long time ago, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, greed and money is going to ruin this game, which I figured 10 years ago, I'm actually, I I can't believe I, you know, I'm still alive with cancer. Like I can't believe I'm still around at this point. You know what I mean? To where I I'm surprised it took this long, but um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely, Definitely frustrating. I will say getting back to Duke, that Duke quarterback, Riley Leonard, I watched him once last year. I didn't realize how athletic he was. He was great. 
Mike Elko, which we mentioned last week, has done a really good job at Duke. And I've got my two Notre Dame DCs always mixed up. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt and Mike Elko at, at, at Duke. And But tough jobs, the smart school of that conference for football especially. And they, you know, he's done a hell of a job. Like, I, I, I disagree that, you know, on the surface, obviously, outside, Clemson should have won. Duke was a better team last night. Now, it does help when you get to nine minutes now in the fourth quarter when it should be three and a half minutes in the third quarter and it's 21-7. Big difference, man. And we're going to see timeouts being spent differently now. Um, no, I mean, in the last two years, they've, they've really changed the game. Yeah, Clemson gets into the red zone four times in the second half last night, but ends up scoring zero second half points. Yeah. They obviously That's had all- that penalty go against them when the game wasn't completely out of hands that sealed it for Duke. And in the end, you know what? You think that Duke played the better game? I'm I'm fine with that because they uh they ended up kicking Clemson that Clemson's ass when it was all said and done, allowing that student base to storm the field. Yeah. It's funny that they stormed the field and they, I don't know, they made up a, a third, a third to close to half of the field. Cause it wasn't the, you know, they don't get the biggest crowds to begin with. And even if that game was a sellout last night, I mean, when a stadium holds, I don't know, 40,000 people and 10,000 of those are students, they're going to make it about to the 30 or 40. Yeah. No, which was, I mean, that's all good. That's college football and Duke deserved to win that game. Like I said, I can't think of one game. I, I couldn't watch a bunch of them because ESPN. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've watched I watched less games this first weekend than I have in forever. And the ones I did watch, it's like me having sex at 19. You know, I mean, it was 11 seconds and a flashbang. Did you get a chance to watch Florida State LSU? Nope. Not one second. Hmm. So, Man, I like Florida State looked great. I mean, I watched highlights, but that was it. Yeah, it was a pretty uneven performance by both teams in the first half. And then Florida State figured it out on both sides of the ball, but especially offense. And I'm not completely convinced that Daniels is the quarterback that some were touting him as in the preseason for LSU, he didn't stand a chance against that Florida state front. I mean, they'd made his life miserable and you can only do so much running with the football when you're running for your life like that. Whereas Florida state just made plays in the second half. So it's sometimes as simple as that. And by the way, you have to give credit to the Florida state defense too. that very first drive of the game where LSU gets all the way down inside their five. Yeah. And they get six opportunities to get in, including a fourth down opportunity. And I guess four of those downs were felt a little bit cheap. There was a a late shot that was called on Florida State for throwing the quarterback down after the whistle had blown. I thought that was kind of BS. But to Florida State's credit, they they held. And Brian Kelly, who boy, we may get to see purple face Brian Kelly again this year, Kevin. It seems like it's been a few years. But he was not happy on Sunday, nor should he have been. Uh, Florida State's defense stepped up, and they get that big sack on fourth down. And even though that didn't necessarily set the tone for the rest of the game because it was close going in at halftime, I think it 
was a sign of, of things that would eventually come in terms of that front being as disruptive as they were. Yeah, Jared Verse, I mean, that was a great transfer last year, and then him coming back says a lot. They've got big receivers. I like Jordan Travis. Uh, Norvell's done a good job with that team, obviously. And, uh, I mean, I thought the ACC would be wide open this year. It still may be. We'll see what North Carolina does. Their defensive line and pressure looked a lot better than it had been. We know what Drake May can do. We also know they're losing two receivers, and that has not been a consistent offense when they when they need that. Um, but yeah, the ACC, I mean, hell, the Pac-12 is probably your story. They went 13-0. and How great would that be for the Pac-12 to win the national championship and have a real screw you year after 20 bad years as a conference or around there, whatever it is, there may have been one or two in there that were good, uh, you know, during their swan song. I think it would be poetic. I want to see it. It's not going to do anything to save the Pac-12 because everybody no. with the exception of Oregon State and Washington State, boy, those two poor schools, they thought they were attached at the hip to their rivals, Washington and Oregon, but the reality is, is that they were the most expendable of the programs in the Pac-12 and programs that nobody really wanted either. There may be a loophole, though, Kevin, that allows them to operate as a two-team conference and for the next two years, I believe that if either of those teams finishes amongst the top six ranked teams uh, among the conference champs, then they'll get an automatic bid into the college Good. football playoff. <laughs> Good. I'm at a point where my kid is screwed up so much. I hope he goes to jail. <laughs> I've never, never been like this with you with college football with targeting with all the changes that I don't think have been good, this one, this one just felt a lot more different. I'm sorry you feel that way, man. And I hope it doesn't affect you to enjoy the sport for the rest of the year, especially with you getting ESPN back. Like I get that it's, it is a certainly an adjustment and it is impacting the game when you're not allowing it until there are two minutes left. I'd like to think that at some point you won't completely forget about it. You'll still see it and you'll still see how it is affecting a team's ability to come back or put a game away that you'll still be able to enjoy the action on the field, especially once you have access to all those games again. Well, so number one, the problem this weekend, like I, I understand your gripe is legitimate. I see where you're coming from and I want it changed too, because it's gone too far even for me but I think it was only compounded by the fact that you're having to deal with this ESPN and spectrum ridiculousness. And there were Probably a bunch right. of games you just flat out couldn't watch. Yeah, no, if you would have had more cracks spread out, it would have been okay for the uh, quick crack sniff um, that we only get now with college football as crackheads. Um, but baseball, I was not for that. And I watched it and I was open-minded and said, you know what's making the product better. But once again, baseball, MLB never really had a true play clock they live by. There was a 30 flashing up there. He wasn't going to do anything. Now they have that, and it's made the game more enjoyable, but it hasn't changed the game for me. Now you can say the Yankees, the Padres, uh, certain older teams have not adjusted. That's fine. And maybe that's the case here, and maybe I'm the old guy who's not adjusted. Boy, there are a lot of young people and old people that are college football addicts and are in – on Twitter alone, we're agreeing, saying, no, it's, it has changed the product. 
and you don't change the product. What happened when Coke went to New Coke? It's two weeks later. I mean, I, I really, they won't do this, but I really hope they'd come together this week and say, hey, it's overwhelming, the response. This is way too big of a golden goose. We're not going to fuck with it. Um, we, we'll talk about it even in the offseason. We'll go to our out-of-bounds timeouts. We'll go to the running soccer clock if a guy gets a, a neck injury. But we're not, like, we're going to slow it down to some degree. Or here's the problem. Cut out the ads. They won't do that. Yeah, that is another solution. And that's probably why they won't roll anything back is because they've already sold ad packages for the year. And so right. they're not going to give anybody their money back and say, sorry, we're running less of your commercial breaks than we initially promised. So people are just going to have to deal with it this year. And the hope for them is that this is less new Coke and more cherry Coke. Uh, now you're talking my deal. <laughs> but you also know that I, I put on independent plays here at Hyde Park. Um, it's one of the things, one of my passions. And uh, I produce them, I write them. And if I was going to charge the same amount of money or, you know, tips or whatever to get in and gave you less of the good action that I write and produce for our local plays, you'd probably sniff that out and be pissed off, Trey. Yes, you are correct about that. But I also watch a an NFL product that does things more like the way that college football has switched to. And I see an efficiency in their games that I appreciate also. Again, coming from the old married guy with kids, he doesn't necessarily want to be sitting in front of his television until 4 o'clock, but as you've already gone over, there hasn't been that big a difference in the uh, average game time. The difference is the amount of commercials that exist now versus actual gameplay. So if you can figure out a way to cut the commercials down, then maybe we'll have something here. But in the meantime, you have to roll the clock stopping back a little bit. Two minutes is not enough time. I said that I was critical of that when the rule change was announced and we saw those details and yeah. that has certainly proven to be true. I think I do believe that you can get away with it beginning to stop like that on first downs at the five or six minute mark. I think 10 is too much. Maybe you even go see, I don't want to do it at the end of quarters though. I don't want to do it at the end of the first or the third quarter. Cause I want the clock to continue to run so these games can be over with a little bit quicker. It is a matter of making sure that the games are ending quicker, though. And so if those who are responsible for that rule change aren't staying on top of that, and by the way, I'm about to go and chart because I can't find it online. The average game length from this past weekend, if they don't get that shit right, then they sold us a bill of goods and they we are we should demand some answers. And we should demand that they roll back all these commercial breaks and be, bring the the frequent stop uh, clock stoppages back because what they promised turned out not to be the case. I don't care if it's 41 minutes less. The game has changed. The product has changed. That is one, two, and three, Trey. I know you have kids. Great for all y'all that have families. You made that choice. I made a choice not to. We're probably both right individually for us in our lifetime and lifestyles. There are things that, you know, I don't go to kids' parties, birthday parties. You know, you think that didn't hurt me? 
Um, I mean, there are things I can't do that you can't do. And I don't care if it's 40, 41 minutes less. Sorry. You're going to have to miss some games. I'm also sick of everything trying to get way too big and expand the tent and the pond for everyone. Not everyone's going to like your stuff. And the more I get older, the more I realize I don't want most people to like my stuff. You know why? Because it'll turn into this. The game hasn't changed that much from the clock continuing to run in the first and third quarters, though. Felt completely different to me. Felt like it flew by and, 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 and everyone was rushed. What I saw in baseball early on is everyone was rushed, but kind of in a good way where they were having to adjust. This was go, go listen to some coaches, man. Uh, like most people are not happy with this right now. That, that's true because change is hard, but we, no, just, don't we, have, survived and thrived. we have survived and thrived the way that we have because we're actually really good. That, that was an under, undercut shot right there. We're actually really good. You, I, I love you, my friend. And so this is why you and I can have disagreeable conversations like this. Humans are excellent at adapting. It's why we have not only survived, but thrived to the point that we have. Now, you could also make the argument that we're really good at eating our own, too, and really good at uh, killing ourselves and everything around us. And perhaps that's part of what's happening here. But my guess is that a month into the season, a lot of people will have adjusted to this players, coaches, and fans too, mind you to where it will not be as big of a deal. You're probably right about that. I also wish we didn't have cell phones right now. So take that for what it is. <laughs> I wish that too. Yeah. <laughs> one, one technology that I would love to take away that, might give me a little bit more faith in humanity. It would be just abolishing cell phones and tablets altogether. Well, here's the problem, though, is that like most things, like you, you get it politically all the time. We actually agree on the same outcome or the same yeah. premise. Yeah. As much as I will sit here all night, like we shouldn't have four and a half or five hour football games. You shouldn't, right? Um, it's we agree on it. We actually agree on how to fix it, but we've got corporations and money hungry pieces of shit that are, that are running stuff. And so we've got no say in this. I mean, of everything, all the social stuff, fiscal stuff, anything to like really stand up on. Let's all stand up as college football fans and say, no moss won't happen because it gets back to being crack addicts. And, you know, he can charge whatever he wants at this point. You only get it for so many weeks before the supply is taken away and you're basically just having to watch videos of yourself getting high over the previous four plus months. We're going to continue with that analogy. Yeah, Look, I mean, NFL fans are a great example of this. Like everybody knows how terrible the NFL is to its players in terms of not going for guaranteed contracts, which by the way, a lot of that is on the NFLPA. Shame on you for claiming that you represent the players and then right. agreeing to such shitty deals where you're the one sport, the sport that takes the largest physical toll on its players. Who but also on the players. Has done a terrible job for a long time with long-term medical care. But college football is very similar in that regard, that they they do show how little they actually care for the players year to year. And unfortunately that really carries over to the fans. So I think the NFL does a better job of trying to cater to its fans than college football does. Cause college football is much more 
about the dollars being paid out by ESPN first and foremost, and then Fox and CBS to lesser degrees. I agree. And you've got a two minute warning. That's about it. But like the NFL, it also feels like it didn't go as quick. And maybe that's because I've gotten accustomed to it. Getting back to your point, adjusting to whatever the new world is, but the NFL didn't feel that much different from the NFL that I grew up with when they made the changes. And I think they were also operating on the highest level. The beauty of college football is we want more possessions because there are going to be fumbles inside the 10 and false starts. And it's the most imperfect high level game we know where I don't want to watch eighth grade soccer because it's imperfect beyond belief. And there's not much of a high level. College football is in college sports when college basketball still was legit. College basketball's changed. It was at a very high level, but imperfect. It wasn't MLB. It wasn't the NBA. It wasn't the NFL, which are the top of the top of all time. And so you don't have those mistakes. We need more possessions in college football. And I think there's a way to probably, probably meet the middle, even with the sideline stuff, to where I also don't want necessarily, uh, you know, Kendall Bryles getting 100 and 21 snaps in a game that felt like it was too much Four possessions for some of these teams and a half and it flies by. Nope. You better go real slow with that. And it's gone too quickly. What are some of the other games you watched this weekend? I watched a little bit of Notre Dame. Notre Dame kind of is what they are. Didn't watch Bama, but I know Milrow hit some shots down downfield. I don't think we know much about them. The biggest thing from that game could be that Malachi Moore and, and the other uh, secondary guy are out. Malachi being their main quarterback of the defense, lines people up, is the vocal guy. Um, you know, I mean, we're obviously going to spend a ton of time, probably the last hour, on Texas and getting into our thoughts there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of upsets, which is not completely rare for college football, which is why we didn't need any – time issues on that like that, that that's been there um but it's wide open kind of like we thought i mean the acc wide open uh overall college football wide open and i think that's great i, I think that's going to be really good for the sport and fun so the ap poll came out today and myself and plenty of others predicted with lsu and clemson losing that texas would jump into the top 10 and maybe as high as nine for what would be a top 10 matchup in Tuscaloosa this weekend, but didn't happen. Notre Dame fighting Irish. They jump up a couple of spots to 10 Tennessee jumps up to nine and then Washington goes from 10 to eight. So the Longhorns still find themselves at 11 and I'm sure that there are Longhorn fans on Twitter right now who are incensed by that. That doesn't bother me in the least bit. Would have been fun to say top 10 matchup in Tuscaloosa, sure. But what I want is for this Texas team to maybe have a slightly larger chip on its shoulder and go in a little bit more pissed off and hopefully more focused to take care of their business against Alabama here in a few days. How many college football games have you watched if you're incensed by the AP poll after week one? Fans are not rational. But, I mean, you want you want your team to not be in the top four until the last week of the season, if you're smart. And Texas doesn't deserve that. They didn't look that good. 
Notre Dame, Georgia, I've watched all three of those games. Notre Dame should be ranked ahead of them right now. Are they a better team? Who the fuck knows? The exception to be being ranked in the top four outside of the last couple of weeks of the year is if you're like an Alabama or Georgia. Then it's just kind of expected. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's expected, but if you still have a shot to get in there, then, I mean, it's, it, you know, sh- show me the end of the day. Um, so, I mean, I don't think Texas should be in there. I don't think they looked very good. I don't think it's the end of the world. We did post game. They have stuff to clean up, no doubt about that. There are some good things, some bad things. We'll know a hell of a lot more about Texas and Alabama this week. I mean, th- this is the first week, first Saturday, where you can really walk out and say, okay, we got a good idea right now what we are. Where are you with that game right now? Um, I mean, you would, you know, Alabama's seven point favorite last I saw. That should probably be it. Uh, Texas could win it, and it would not be, would not be. Hell, even Texas going to Nebraska for me in 98. Um, Alabama's got a lot of question marks. They didn't play anyone. They still do not know if their quarterback is the right guy. They've got to figure out outside guys. I think they're in a better spot than Clemson of actually having the guys in place to do that. I know their offensive line's better. But, yeah, I mean, Alabama's got a lot of – I mean, they've got questions too. The Alabama fans are not – it may be because the last 10 years, but the objective ones who know their shit are not totally sold. They're going to beat Texas. Texas plays well and plays a lot better than they did in certain spots. Then Texas could go in there and win. But Texas has a lot of question marks. Uh, I mean, there are not many teams that are walking out of week one who played anyone who feel really good about it. And that's probably FSU. And FSU's going to have some down spots too. FSU's not going undefeated. Newsflash. Yeah, I think you're going to be uh, see very similar pass defense game plans out of Texas and Alabama, and that is force the opposing quarterback to go through his progressions. Yep, show you that he can make throws to his second and third receivers, oftentimes in the face of pressure too. It's why I have said since Saturday came to an end, like I don't know which way I would bet that seven-point line right now, but I would hammer the under. My guess is that this turns into a low-scoring game because both defenses are much further along than their counterparts right now. I agree with that. I wouldn't touch a seven-point line right now. Maybe more info comes out, but I wouldn't touch it. There are enough issues with Texas for sure and Alabama with injuries, especially those two guys in the back end. We'll see how – legit that is i could be smokescreen but um yeah i mean i I wouldn't touch that i would touch the under um texas has to be much better up front the offensive line which i thought was gonna be really good and still could be week it's week one you know the thing i did really like about them is it felt like for the first time in a long time they at least had more than four options right like maybe six to seven to eight options meaning that if someone because cam will not cam uh, dj did not look good at right guard looked like it was, the game was too quick for him the interior overall did not pick up stunts did not look good so if you've got someone i think netto from what i'm reading may start go for it use all eight of these guys and, and maybe you don't have the right center maybe you don't i mean maybe you were Christian Jones a guard, move Cam Williams or I, I don't know what the answer is, but you've got enough pieces 
to where you can actually this year for the first time play with it and not say, oh, I can't put anyone in there because I only have four starters right now. Legit starters. Yeah, apparently this, at least according to Inside Texas, the right calls were being made by the center on Saturday and the guards weren't responding accordingly. And it wasn't any one guy, by the way, it was different guys who were trying both the left and right guard positions. So that has to change because Saban and Kevin Steele saw exactly what Rice did to find success on the interior and including against the tackles at times on Saturday. So they are going to very quickly test Texas in that regard to see if they're buttoned up because otherwise we're going to get a replay of gosh, what was it? Texas OU from three or so uh, three or so years ago where Alex Grinch just had his team moving right before the snap of the ball and then twisting and stunting all over the place. And by the way, he took that straight from Gary Patterson the week before because Gary had his TCU team doing that. And I don't remember if Texas won the game. It was TCU. So probably not, but they absolutely ate the Longhorns lunch doing yeah. so in the process. And it provided a blueprint that pretty much every other team followed the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, you talk about it a lot. Quinn Ewers throwing off his back foot. I mean, I, I don't get it. Like with Riley Dodge, with Mahomes quarterback coach, I met the guy, I forgot what his name was, but um, at spring game a couple of years ago and he, he works with Mahomes and Quinn and then Sark. I mean, throw out even A.J. Milwee. I don't know how good A.J. really is. I know he's got a, a good name. It sounds like he's got, you know, does good work. But those three guys alone, that stuff should be cleaned up by now. And I will give him a break that, dude, it's also like Klubnik. It's your second game to start. This is your second year. You didn't have a full year last year of starting. I'm going to give you some breaks on some stuff. But the mechanics like that, the footwork, that should be cleaned up. Uh, that, that that's part of the laziness that we people talked about during the off season that, that felt like with the haircut or the body weight or just him talking like that stuff was going to be in order. Yeah. There was a clumsiness with his footwork that was really surprising to see you. And I talked about it in the post game on Saturday. It's like, how does a guy lose 15 to 20 pounds of baby fat, but somehow look less athletic the very next season? Well, we, we talked about it. I mean, vertically, even last year, even with the weight, he's got um, – I, I think he's been pretty good, relatively speaking. He's not super athletic, but being able to get vertical, you see backs, man coverage, seven yards, slide, know when to slide. He's pretty good at that. And you're good. Move the chains. You know, keep the clock going and actually the half's over with now. Never mind. Um, but yeah, move the chains first down laterally. I mean, there was a sack on Saturday where, you know, it's a rice defensive tackle and he spun out of it, but apparently guy, guy done him a hand on him and he just goes down. I mean, I think laterally in the pocket, that's something that worries me, especially with someone like Saban. If he knows where your launch pad is and where you're going to target that, um, and your offensive lines having problem picking up stunts, that's a recipe for disaster. Take it back. Take Bam in the minus seven. <laughs> Milrow is the anti-Quinn Ewers in terms of the footwork, and there's no question that the Longhorns will be spying him at times, if not often. And ultimately, the correct answer here is there's no one guy that's going to spy him the entire night. They will mix that up to keep Bama and Milrow 
at least a little bit off guard, but if you had a say so in how the defense handles that particular assignment, who are the three guys that you're maybe having spy him more than the others? God, I mean, Anthony Hill talent wise, but you, you know, I mean, he's so young that I'm not sure about that. Jalen Ford is one. Um, and then I don't know who's the other one. I mean, is it Catalan? I think Catalan is it for me. Yeah. I, I want Hill. I think that's a good test for Hill, especially early on. And if you see that he's way too out of his element, then you can quickly make that change. But it's Catalan and then Jalen Ford. My problem with doing it with Jalen Ford too much is he's so good in so many other areas. You don't want that to take away from the rest of what he does for the defense. Agreed. I mean, even his play on Saturday, that was a – you don't have linebackers with ball skills like that. Not that the – you know, him recognizing it was that brilliant, but to that quickly bat that up and make the catch. I mean, we talked about it last week. He's got a nose for the football. So – there were some good things, especially the defense. I mean, what, 1.1 yards per carry? Like, let's also talk about Pete Kwiatkowski. And as much as we can talk about it being Rice, which is fair, um, they were dominant defensively. Yes, they were. And you hope you see a similar level of dominance out of the entire defense, but especially those defensive tackles. I mean, Tavondre Sweat, for all the hype that we've heard this offseason, he fit the bill, at least in game one. Alfred Collins... Not nearly as active, wasn't on the field as much, but he had a nice play, that swat of a JT Sanders attempted pass where he broke through the line of scrimmage and was up in the QB's grill. And the rest of that secondary, or the rest of the defensive line also, I still have some questions about Ethan Burke. I know he got credited for tackle for a loss and maybe half of a sack, but in watching him in person, he he seems a little bit top heavy right now. And I know that getting the right weight on him is a work in progress. I still think he's probably a year away from being a big time impact player in a game like what's coming up, which begs the question of if not him, then who? Right. As someone who was touting him way before anyone, when he had no rides, I did not think by this point, Ethan Burke would be ready to play at this level. I think it probably talks about the edge for UT to some degree. And also he's even been ahead of what a lot of us thought, but yeah, I mean, that was a body like Bosick that is going to take time. This is going to be more of an Iowa state, Kansas state type deal. Okay. You're not bringing in Derek Johnson his freshman year from Waco and he's all over the field. Okay. I mean, it, you really got to build this body up. So I mean, I saw the same thing. Uh, Tavondre Sweat looked great, man. He also played, I think the team high was 27 snaps. How many snaps did Rice get? In the game? Yeah. Let's see. Give me a second to pull up texassports.com. What happened to my baby? My baby. She had to leave me, didn't she? (laughs) Who's that? College football. Oh, I see. Let's see. Team stats. Total offense. Uh, Rice had 51 plays and Texas had 75. Okay. Um, Which tells you a lot right there. Now, Rice is obviously punting a lot. But, yeah, I mean, Tavondre played the most snaps of anyone. He played really well. Um, You know – as much of a fugazi as maybe offensively than not playing well in the first half could be, hopefully uh, the flip side could be the defense is, is better this year, but also not probably what we saw on Saturday. 
right. How many total plays did you say Devondre was in for? I think 27, 28, 29. My goodness. He played more than half the game. Good for him. That's that's a great sign. Right. Especially for him that, that he played that much and also played that well because his big issue, Coburn's issue too for uh, really his whole time too was how many snaps, good snaps can you play? For the record, the Texas Rice game clocked in at three hours and 11 minutes. So a little bit more than three hours. With... Good. I hope you got home and did nothing. Well, I didn't do nothing. I got home just after halftime and did the post game. Go with me. I got it. <laughs> See, I'm I had not... Calvin to crutch on on Saturday. He was gung ho to go to the game even when I was starting to hedge. And so he wanted, so we went to the game and we hung out at Bevo Boulevard. Before the game, <laughs> talk about your beatdowns. Um, <laughs> but by the end of the first quarter, he was ready to go. And I'm like, son, we got to stick around to halftime at least. And so it got to that point where Steve Sarkeesian was just doing what Steve Sarkeesian loves to do. And that's bungle his clock management and his game management at the end of a half, running it on second and six from the 50 where the clock is already running. And so I looked at Calvin. I'm like, all right, you want to get out of here right now? He's like, yes. And it paid off because they had to settle for a field goal at the end of the half. Yeah, they did. Special teams was actually pretty good. I mean, it's rice, but you can, as Clemson showed, you can screw that up with no matter who you're playing. Okay, so I'm glad you said that because I heard Steve Sarkeesian, I forget if it was post-game or on Monday, say that it was an up-and-down performance on special teams. And I only saw the up. The big down, apparently, was Will Stone sending a kickoff out of bounds at the start of the second half. So yeah. that's the one big knock. I mean, you, you don't want to do that obviously, but if that's the one big knock on special teams, then special teams had a better day than not. Yeah. I mean, it's not good. You don't want that. That could be, it could, you know, ruin a game if it's in the wrong spot, but yeah, overall they played pretty well. And I also like what they have. We knew they had good gunners. We know they have re good return guys. Um, that could be a huge thing for this team. They got to clean up the offensive line. We'll see how good they can be, even with the different guys that want to funnel in um, and try different lineups. Go for that. Go for it, Kyle Flood. Um, that's the one thing we should have this year. You may have, you may have one left tackle who actually didn't play well either, who's going to be a first-round pick, a right tackle who could be a fifth-round pick, the center is going to be working at Covert, great guy in three years. Um, and a right guard who's a five-star didn't turn out. I, I don't know how all that's going to turn out. You may have only three guys you really like, but at least you have eight that are pretty close. And we had one guy, if that we liked, and three guys that were close to that and walk-ons after that. So the offensive line has gotten better. Um, I'm worried it's not going to be, especially in the, in the interior, as good as I thought or a lot of people thought. Well, how good is the Big 12 on the interior this year? Like, obviously, Alabama is a different beast, and that could be a serious issue if you don't get that buttoned up. But Big 12 is just not a great conference this year, and I think that may carry over to – a lot of defensive lines, like some of the best players we've seen on the defensive line these last few years are no longer a part of the respective programs. Baylor had their big guy in the middle. He's in the NFL now. I know Will McDonald is more of an outside guy, but he's obviously a force 
on opposing offenses at Iowa State, also earning an NFL paycheck. I forget if the Kansas State defensive lineman is still there. He's gone too. The Nigerian kid? What's that? The Nigerian kid? Yeah, the one who got Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Gone. So Texas Tech lost their big guy, who uh, obviously goes in the top 10 of this year's NFL draft too. So... Maybe it's not as big of an issue, especially because iron sharpens iron. And this Texas offensive line has had to go up against a burly, tough defensive line on their own roster all preseason. Rice was a bit of a letdown, but they're also about to get a pretty insane test with Alabama this weekend. So even if they don't necessarily pass that, perhaps they'll be better off going forward because it does ease up just a little bit. Following yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel you on the Texas defensive line. I don't think Texas defensive line is going to be better than Alabama's this year. And I get Bama's lost people. But mm. just the way they've recruited and the way they coach, um, I doubt that's going to be too big of a drop. No, and look, I said that the Alabama defensive line is is really good. And you're right. They, they are, by all accounts, better than the Texas defensive line right now. And people are saying the Texas defensive line is one of the best in the conference and has an argument to be one of the best in the nation. No, it doesn't. You don't think so? In the country? No. Yeah. No. No, I didn't think that two months ago, and I hope I'm wrong in one month. Okay. And I'll be the first to admit it and also be smiling. Um, but, I mean – no, I, I think it's probably one of the best ones in the conference. I agree with that, um, mainly because of what you pointed out, and it may be top 15, but, like, I mean, I, I just never thought that their defensive line was going to be, like, one of the top five ones in the country. Um, and, and and But I also thought Clemson's defensive line would be a lot better, and they didn't look that good. So week one's week one, and, and they look good in week one. So hopefully they only build off that, and – Make me eat my words. I'll be the first to do it. How much of the yeah. Texas defensive line not deserving tops in the country credentials has to do with the void that may still exist at that edge rusher position? 100%. I, I believe a lot in sweat and sweat. We'll see how many plays he can, you know, actually play at a high level, but that showed me a lot. I like Byron Murphy. I mean, I think they, I think they're pretty, pretty stacked up there. Yeah. It's more of the edge. And, I think they have guys that will be good eventually. But this year, I mean, it, you know, that is kind of a weakness, right? Yeah, I mean, it, until it's not, and it's going to continue to be a weakness. And hopefully Anthony Hill can can be that guy. And in the meantime, Ethan Burke can <laughs> hitch call a guy game manager at, at defensive end. But hopefully he can do some of the basic stuff that was being neglected these last few years by Ovia Gofu and others that he can do a good job of setting the edge, occasionally be disruptive in the backfield, get after the quarterback when they drop back on first and second down, and when it's third and obvious passing down, Anthony Hill comes in. Yeah, I mean, getting back to Obi, who I knew going back to Notre Dame, he was third string, maybe second string, and played a tad for one of the best defensive lines, top 10, not top five, at Notre Dame, and he came here and started for two years. Um, if if that's what we're looking for on the edge, this is not going to be one of the top defensive lines in the country. You're saying how Ogofu played? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, we're, we're looking for an improvement from that. That was, that was the point is that gotcha. it was wildly inconsistent. He would make plays here and there, but it just, it wasn't happening enough. And oftentimes he was a, le- a weak link across the entire defense. I mean, teams were specifically running at him because they knew that that was the soft spot for Texas. As was Texas linebackers' ability to pursue and, and make plays and holes, too, by the way. Far too often they were they were running after plays. True. We're speaking yeah. of that, David Benda played David Benda played pretty well. I know it's rice, but I've been told that by numerous people. I'm glad to hear that. You know, the only play that sticks out to me is the uh, the play where he let that crossing route go over the middle of the field. He lost his assignment, and that ends up going for 30-plus yards. Fair. It was just one play in that game, though, and he did lead the team in tackles with six on a day where guys were rotating a lot. And he's he's got a lot of front in front of him this Saturday, and, and you know that Nick Saban – is going to go after and Tommy Reese are going to go after the newer, less proven guys on that defense. That includes going after Ethan Burke. And that includes probably trying to go after David Benda a little bit more too, because they see those, they see the cornerbacks for Texas and they see the the Texas secondary and they see a group of guys who is really physical at the point of attack and also excellent at stopping the run. Now, I think with some of those guys, you have some big question marks with regards to their ability to stick in man coverage, but he sees that they're going to have to try and earn some tough yardage on the inside. Because if you get it outside, the Texas corners are physical. Jaday Barron is a disruptive force. You know what the Texas safeties are capable of doing when they're coming downhill, trying to stop the run too. Yeah, I thought Malik. I mean, the funny thing was, we couldn't. You couldn't get a lot out of. You get a lot more when Malik's matched up with Isaiah Bond or Kobe Prentice or or any of their guys this weekend. But you know, I thought I thought he came up and was physical as a freshman cornerback. That is outside of Bryant Westbrook and a couple guys. Most guys, you have to grow into that. So I mean, I I really like the mentality uh, and physicality of the defense. I understand what they were playing, but. Yeah, I've also seen teams like that with a – I mean, Rice also had a five-star quarterback for the first time in our lifetime. Yeah. Was it Josh LaRocca or I'm trying to be a kid in 94 on the 1917 Sunday game. They have not had great quarterbacks, usually wishbone guys, but they got after his ass, and he, he didn't have time to throw. Hmm. If you would have had time to throw JT Daniels, I actually would have liked to seen that being a non-Texas fan to see where the secondary is. But they, uh, I thought the defense looked, for what it was, very good. And I'll give that same caveat on the offense, too. I'm not totally selling on the offense like some people are. I didn't see much of this guy watching in the stands and he didn't jump out all that much in my rewatch a couple of days ago, but did Derek Williams stand out to you? Because Sark said some good things about him in the presser yesterday. And I've also read some stuff about how active he was and how he was in there really early too, for this Longhorns defense at safety. You know, I'm not doing this full time. So this is mainly opinion based and I was going to rewatch it today and didn't have time. 
So I may rewatch it tonight, may just delete it. Um, but I, I didn't see it first go around and, and didn't watch it a second time around, which usually I'm on my third watch by, by now. Um, had two friends text me and say that they felt like they were really pumped about him. They, they, they saw flashes. Okay. All right, let's switch to the NFL now. Kansas City Chiefs looking for another Super Bowl title this year. They may be doing so for at least one game without the services of Travis Kelsey, who apparently hyperextended his knee in a practice a little bit earlier today. And look, Pat Mahomes is what stirs that drink, but if he's minus Kelsey, that is a really big blow for that offense, as good as Pat Mahomes is. Yeah, and they, I mean, without Tyreek last year, I was curious, and they obviously won the Super Bowl, and, and they added different pieces, but Kelsey kind of is that that main cog there. So um, this could be really big, but, I mean, last year, I don't think most of us thought there would be a little dip in their offense, and there was Yeah, it's a uh, a group of scrub receivers on the Chiefs this year. There are guys whose names you barely recognize. Kadarius Tony is the most well known, but he spent most of training camp injured. Although Andy Reid said he would be ready to go for Game One. Sky Moore enters Year Two. They still have Marquez Valdez Scantling somehow. Do they really? And, wow. And a bunch of other dudes that I haven't heard of before. By the way, for those wondering about. Travis Kelsey's backup is a Blake Bell. Yeah, maybe, but the guy listed by our lads is Noah Gray, which is a name that I'm not all that familiar with. So maybe Andy Reid is doing a little bit more in the way of getting his running backs involved out of the backfield to help provide that safety valve for Pat Mahomes that Travis Kelsey is normally providing. They'll be in the late 20s this year, and it would not surprise me at all. Talk about a very early uh, mock here. But and I thought about this a couple months ago. It would not surprise me where Kelsey is, knowing where he's at. Maybe have a year, maybe two years, but how many good years do you have left? If they take, they'll be in the late twenties, most likely, right? Yep. If they take like a, I mean, Brock Bowers will be gone by then. If they take a JT Sanders or someone like that in the or some Central Michigan six seven white tight end, um, but some tight end in the late twenties having that set up where he can be the secondary second guy. They go more 12 personnel or more 22 or two tight end sets and have him learn under, under Kelsey for a year or two, because Kelsey, I mean, already I've kind of surprised he's played this long at this level for so long. Yeah. He turns 34. Yeah. In early October. I mean, Rob Gronkowski got into his early thirties and, <laughs> Guy was being held together by knee braces and duct tape. Now, perhaps there's a bit of a difference in lifestyle there. But is there? There actually seem like the same guy. I don't think Kelsey projects this wild guy image, but I think he does a better job of taking care of himself than Rob Gronkowski did or does. Yeah, no, you're right. Gronk, uh, you know, always felt like the party guy. Kelsey kind of projects that, but I think he's more of like a guy you'd never want to run into in his blue-collar Detroit neighborhood. Yep, so Jerry Jones 
interviewed by 105.3 The Fan up in the DFW area today, and he did what Jerry Jones does, and that's say things that get people talking. So they asked him what the low watermark for the Dallas Cowboys in 2023 was. His response was, do not underachieve. What does underachieving mean for the Dallas Cowboys this year? I don't know. Um, not not speeding at like 111 miles per hour. Who's the guy? I love that. The guy like had gotten arrested for another time for speeding. And he goes, hey, man, he dropped it like 30 or 40 miles per hour. Like that. That's pretty funny with Jerry, considering nobody got hurt. Right. Um, yeah. Don't underachieve. Um I don't know, because it feels like their fan base and his expectations, he may say it, aren't the same. Yeah, Jerry's definitely got crazy old guy vibes, and that's not just a this year thing. So underachieving, it's got to start with not making the playoffs, right? You miss the playoffs, and that's immediate underachieving. And it might go as far as them either winning the division or getting past that first round matchup, like winning a playoff game for the season to have been considered a mild success for him or not underachieving. Yeah. I mean, playoffs, you're definitely right about that. You don't, you don't go to the playoffs, definitely underachieving. I mean, I would think though. Yeah. I mean, what it should be, if you've been building this whole thing, as long as they have been NFC championship game, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe. But. I'm talking on the outside. I'm also giggling inside. I, I Trust me. But so if they get to the playoffs, for me, that's like, all right, that's about what I expected. But for all the talk and for what they've been talking about inside should be the NFC Championship game. It just depends. Are they even the second best team in their own division? Probably not. Like, it seems obvious that Philly is I mean, one. There's yeah. a chance the Giants are the second best team in the NFC East this year. And so at that point, you're, I mean, even if you're the second best team, you're fighting for a wild card spot. And if you're the third best team in your own division, perhaps it's that whole iron sharpens iron bit where you've played those other two teams twice. And so it makes everything else a little bit easier. But you're also going to be facing a better team in the playoffs, too. I don't know. This feels like we're entering Mike McCarthy's final year as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. It probably does. By the way, I mean, getting back to it, there's still right now you'd have to put him ahead of the Giants. So probably so. Um, but that's in that division. I don't know where, I mean, looking at it right now, where where we would put them in the NFC. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the McCarthy thing from day one felt off, felt even weirder with Kellen Moore, and now he's calling plays. So, I mean, this is probably – either do it or shut up time for him and where they're at. But I don't know if Jerry will fire. Boy, that's a great question. Jerry did get duped by that Thanksgiving day feature on Mike McCarthy live from his Wisconsin bunker, where he was proving to everybody that he had evolved as a football thinker. It was all about advanced metrics. Now, Mike McCarthy, a guy who probably has a hard time with basic multiplication is going to get into advanced metrics to help him make football decisions. Yeah, that was going to go well. And it's been as predicted. Yeah, it's been as predicted. I mean, looking at the NFC, um, I don't know. I think there are a lot of question marks with the NFC. 
Um, this is the type of year. I mean, you've got Philly, obviously, as your favorite. But I mean, San Francisco with Brock Purdy, I, I don't think the Rams are going to be much. We'll see. Um, no, this, this is going to be Sean McVay's final year in L.A., especially with Matt Stafford calling out great. the fact that he can't connect with his younger teammates because they're on their phones. And now Cooper Cup is going to see a specialist for his hamstring issue. Sean yeah. McVay is about to make a nice chunk of money doing television for at least a year or two and really getting in to enjoy that free time with his wife. Yeah. Wife's popping out a kid um, probably at the end of the season. So there were rumors too many of them last year that he may have quit last year that, I mean, there was a lot of talk during before the Super Bowl that they won, that this is it for him, him and Aaron Donald. It's it. And they both were like coming back for one more year. And that was last year. So it, I, I would actually be surprised if McVay's are head coach next year. I do wonder about San Francisco, not because Kyle Shanahan's not a decent coach, because I think he is, and they've got some some good pieces compiled on both sides of the ball. Like I'm still ex- expecting Brock Purdy to fall back to earth, though. Yeah, we all are. Like I'm still expecting to see the Brock Purdy that we lo- saw his last three years in Iowa State, where he was a guy who hadn't really evolved from that true freshman who was finding all sorts of fun ways to win games for them. Like defense is adjusted and all of a sudden not only were those pump fakes not working anymore, but he started to feel a little bit hurried and pressured and just uh, coughing up the ball in inexplicable ways at times. Yeah. I mean, Shanahan dials up so many good things that we'll see how good the offensive line is. Um, And defensively they've been really good. So I mean, they're going to be a team to obviously be reckoned with, but I think all of us, including 49er fans, certainly any of us who watch Brock Purdy forever. You were a big Brock Purdy guy, I believe, four or five years ago. Early I was a bigger Matt Campbell guy, but as you know, I've cooled off on Campbell a little bit too right. because, and I forget if we've talked about this on the air, the guy, he loses it on the sidelines way too quickly now. He's got this hair trigger. Mm-hmm anger that he goes to where i mean he is getting brian kelly level purple faced over calls that he feels like went his way and you see the replay and it's either a much closer play than what the reaction calls for or it's something where he's flat out wrong and it's like dude you just created an unnecessary distraction for your team on the sidelines and i've seen numerous examples now over these last two years where his anger issues are causing him his team to lose focus and then lose games as a result. Now, Iowa State is going to fucking suck this year. They'll good. still be good, good defensively. Own it. Own it, you five-star culture. <laughs> They'll still be decent. I said good defensively. They'll still be decent defensively. They're going to be awful on offense. They're relying on a redshirt freshman to start and a true freshman backing him up at quarterback. They lost their top running back to that gambling probe. And it was very evident in their week one win. It was like a 30 to nine win over Toledo or somebody like they, they still look terrible on offense. They got outgained by their opponent, despite the fact that their opponent only scored nine points. Well, they, they lost a running back and Deckers, right? And the Deckers left. also. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, it's why I said that. I mean, the fact that, and if I wasn't a UT guy, I can get a kick out of it then. The whole five-star comment he made in Austin, you know, like, hey, if you're Iowa State, that's a way to roll with it. Hey, they got five-star talent. We got a five-star culture. 
Well, a five-star culture comment really bites you in the ass when you get that many guys gambling on stuff. And the five-star talent wasn't. So, um, or at least wasn't brought up for it. Um, yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I think Iowa State's going to be in a world of hurt probably this year. But the Big 12 in general, I mean, we can tell on Saturday, either it's going to be really bad and not be wide open or it's going to be wide open. I mean, I don't take anything out of Oklahoma's game. I saw highlights. That was it. But playing, you're playing really nobody. Even with Butch Davis saying it was one of the fastest teams that he's ever played against or that he's ever coached against. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see how fast and how well they tackle when it actually counts. Because that that was a porous tackling team. And I mean, look, it looks like they cleaned stuff up in week one. They'll probably be better. But there's a long way to go for what they were last year to, to getting better. And obviously, Gabriel's got to stay healthy. But no, I mean, the Big 12. And like I said, I mean, it actually pisses me off that college football is probably going to have one of those years where I would rather they would have experimented with these rules like in 2016 or one of those years where it was Alabama LSU and there were two or three great games and that felt like it, you know. Hmm. One more comment from Jerry Jones from his 105.3 interview a little bit earlier. <laughs> Jerry Jones was asked about making that trade for Trey Lance. And he let everybody know who still has the keys to the franchise. Jerry Jones on 105.3, the fan said, because he's the owner and GM, he can make quick decisions like trading for Trey Lance. He said he already had all the information he needed on Lance, so he didn't have to speak with anyone else before making the move. Quote, I didn't have to send it around. I can make that trade in five minutes. Hold on, Jerry said that about himself? Jerry said that about himself. <laughs> we should not have to worry about the Cowboys winning a Super Bowl until Jerry's dead. No, no, I mean, pretty much, no. Um, although this is all bad it's gotten that, like, I would have grown up not liking the Cowboys, and I kind of like them now. Oh, you do? Because I watch them them every week. I had to cover them forever, but I like them in a non-threatening way. Ah. The same way a chick feels comfortable, like, inviting you back up to her place, and you're like, dude. She's like, no, like, nothing's going to ever happen. You know oh that. my God! You friend zoned the Cowboys. I did. They're not a threat. You're right. Hey, they friend zoned me. They have they have some likable dudes on their team. Also, my Parsons yeah. is a fun to watch. Yeah, that, no, yeah. That seems like a good guy. Tony Pollard, electric yep. running back. C.D. Lamb is fun. Good it's dude. hilarious to watch Mike McCarthy look from his play sheet up up on that giant screen and at AT&T stadium. It just looks like such a big lovable galoot. I get a kick out of Jerry. The comment about the guy who got, you know, was speeding 35 miles per hour less than the last time. Like I get a kick out of it, man. Sorry. Life's too tough not to get shits and giggles out of stuff like that. And, but I also feel close. I mean, I was on the phone with UMBK during the Rangers game with Adolis Garcia and you guys, I'm ahead of y'all and I'm screaming like, you could be a Cubs fan. Uh, you can be. You could not have a dog in the fight. But if you lived here and not even cover it, because I don't cover it anymore. This doesn't count as covering. I don't cover it anymore. I'm just watching a lot. And you know, best way if you are in the friend zone for all you men and women out there, just keep it up. Just stay in the friend zone. Stay there. Let them get used to you. 
um, where where they just get used to it, and and they'll end up liking you and not even want to like you. That's a romantic tip of the day. Oh, you're you're going the uh, the Tomcat method here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, get in heat and just rub up against her nose every day. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, out of boredom or horniness, something will happen. And that's oh. kind of what happened with me and the Cowboys, or more the Rangers. God, friend zones suck. Been through been through a few of those in my life. Thankfully, I guess I'm married now, so it's back to friend zone territory. But friend zones were never fun as the guy. They're never fun. Them. I was never oh, even. Yeah, you've, always, you've always been this ladies' man. You've always. No, I have not. No, I have not. I was friend zone all the way until 18, and nothing but friend zone. Such wow. a friend zone that I knew I would get out of the friend zone and still stayed a friend. I mean, we're talking about a pathetic douchebag loser I was. No wonder I got. No wonder I got cancer. That that was deserved. Um, <laughs> but did it not, did it come back to pay off though? To where you, when you found your way, you were able to hook up with some of their friends because you had remained comfortably in the friend zone. No, no, not not the friend zone. Got to eighteen after cancer. Let everything go. Had a free pinball. No pun intended. And you know, changed a little bit physically and really grew up. And, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been on, I've been on, you know, both sides of that, but never in between. I know there's some, I got buddies that have been in between and they'll call me and they're like, won't believe it. Yep. 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 Felt up Lisa tonight. I'm like, you're 31. You shouldn't be feeling when anyone up or telling me about that. Like you guys either consummate this or, don't do anything, okay? And but yeah, I mean, where they've been in between, you know, and I, I've never been in between. But the, the guys, my buddies, or chicks that are in between, chicks are never in between. Yeah, they don't have friend zones; they can get laid whenever they want. But guys are, and a lot of guys are. But I've never been in between. I, I usually was on the other side for most of my life. Well, not most now, but yeah, I mean, the most important horny part of my lives meaning you know my life meaning like 14 to, to 18 or around there well the sad reality with with guy and girl friendships over a certain age let's say like over the age of i don't know 12 or 13 is one or the other wants to hook up with the other one yeah that is always the case so yeah. can you maintain that friendship long term i guess you can but it's also going to be really uncomfortable for one of those people the entire time. I will say, and I mean this, and I'm not just saying this now, I've got legitimate girlfriends of mine, and I don't think either of us want to hook up. They're married in a good marriage. They're happy. I'm happy. I don't want to hook up with them. They don't want to hook up with me. We just are at an age now where we really enjoy talking with each other. Their husbands know that. Our boyfriends know that. Um, at least I think they do. I hope they do. But legitimately, I've got I've got multiple girlfriends where and ex girlfriends who we dated and they're married and we are good. We can go out to dinner and it's all. I think the husband literally knows. No, I mean they they really like talking sports or talking about food or and they're not gonna. There's not one of them who wants to do that. Generally, I agree with your premise though. I think friends with your husband's wife is maybe a gray area scenario, but I would also argue that if you're getting together for dinner with an ex or somebody who's just a friend who's on the market, 
if you don't have those feelings, then she probably has those feelings. There's a good chance of that. Or that she, she would no. be easy to sway if you were to take it down that road. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But, I mean, I haven't, you know. I like how you said the friend's wife is a gray area. I was like, gray area? I'm like, Justin and I are really tight. Yeah, I don't mean me. I did. That, that's different. But, I mean, I literally have girls that I dated, and now they're married with kids. And if I'm in Houston, we can go out to dinner. And husband, please come out. But he may be at work, and he's like, he's not flipping out if I'm out there. Probably says more about me and the threat that I'm not now. No, what it says is that that housewife is looking for some action with an ex, but you are treating the situation respectfully. And so that's not happening. And by the way, I would hope that if Justine, Dean and I, God forbid, ever got divorced, you would make the right decision there and remain friends with Justine and dump me. No, I'm, I, I would, I'd give it three months and then we'll hook up. <laughs> I'm at, I'm at you and me, not you and Justine. Well, I know. I mean, that's been happening since our, our photo booth days. Come on now. Hey, what did we miss from college football? Because I want to get in. I, I didn't mean to be that bitter and negative about everything, but it is what it is, and I'm in it. And I didn't tell you on Thursday. I'm coming back on Tuesday, and this is probably going to happen, right? I mean, I did foresee this five years ago on the radio, man. I literally called it out and said, I see the direction they're going, and I don't like it. Yeah, the problem with Thursday night, because you clued me in on this, is you called me and let me know what was going on between Spectrum and ESPN. And so at that point, I knew that it wouldn't be resolved this weekend. Duh. These corporate behemoths don't care about us. They just care about squeezing one another for a couple more bucks. Yep, but I knew that unless you, unless I were to hook you up with some sort of way to watch those ESPN games that – you would do what a lot of other people need to do if they really have that big of an issue with the on-field product right now, and that's just choose not to watch all of those games on ESPN. You voted with your eyeballs, and more people needed to follow suit if they really want to try and change, let's say, the clock that continues to roll until the last two minutes of each half. Uh, but by the same token, what, what else happens this weekend? Can I give you one right now I'm looking Is at? Please do. I mean, first off, AM, it's New Mexico, but I thought is it I thought it was Wegman. Apparently it's Wegman. He looked really good. Wegman did in their backup quarterback. That lefty was throwing darts too in the third quarter. Agreed. Yeah. No, I thought they looked really good. We'll see. We I mean, Petrino for us is a big offensive mind. This stuff flies by so quickly that there are geniuses that you know, it's like, it's like the tech world where you invent some some app and three months later, you're a dumbass who's an old archaic rock uh, in terms of the industry. So, I mean, Petrino, I thought, and that offense looked good. It is New Mexico. Once again, it's week one. I get that. Um, how about Utah without their starting quarterback, our guy? Going to Florida, and and this is the whole weekend, week together, and more than 24-11, beating the shit out of Florida. Napier's gone soon, isn't he? Maybe. I thought Napier, given the right amount of time, might be able to figure that out, but that was an ugly look for them, and there are 
rumors that have been flying around yesterday and today that ETN is already considering leaving that team and heading to either Colorado, Texas, or there's a third school in the mix too. Now that's been somewhat squashed by one of the reporters who covers the Florida Gators team, but by the same token, that's out there right now. And he was underutilized last Thursday, as was his counterpart, at running back whose name is escaping me right now, but they were also forced to play from behind for a lot of that game. So they had to throw away more than they wanted to, which is also exposing Graham Mertz for exactly what he was coming out of Wisconsin. A&M has an interesting test this weekend. I mean, they're at Miami. It's a two thirty game on ABC. So well, uh, game one showed us a certain amount. We'll, uh, we'll get to see what A&M is made of this weekend. I'm excited to yeah. watch them. No, I mean, we will find out more. Was that Johnson? The um, There's another kid for them. I know you're talking about them. Both those guys from Florida were not utilized probably the way they should be. I talked with uh, my buddy Evan Pittman, big Georgia guy. He's like, Georgia didn't look good. Carson Beck didn't look good. They won 48-7 against UT Martin. Uh, Michigan beats East Carolina 30-3. Ohio State struggled. I mean, Ohio State offensively looked worse than Texas did. You want to get real about it. Yeah. The other running back for Florida is Montrell Johnson. Montrell that's Johnson. The, that's the guy, right? And yeah. I think combined, because those guys were looked at as the far and yep. away biggest strength of that offense. I think collectively they had like nine or 10 total carries against so Johnson. I want to say Johnson finished with negative yards, man. That's not good. It's a testament to that Utah defense, which by the way, like their overall numbers were good last year, but a lot of that had to do with their turnover numbers. They had a lot of turnovers, half of which were fumbles, which is Phil Steele and others have taught us over the years. That's a number that tends to flip in the other direction because there is a luck factor there. A lot of times, unless you're the Chicago bears defenses from the mid two thousands and early 2010s. So they do need to step it up a little bit defensively, but they did at least for one game. I realize. Florida is not great on offense and they are replacing Anthony Richardson. They're erratic, but top five pick at quarterback by the Indianapolis Colts. But this could be a long year for Florida, especially if that defense is anywhere near as bad as they were last season. And they didn't do a whole lot to inspire confidence against a couple of backup quarterbacks in Utah. No, they didn't. I think the biggest takeaway is obviously PAC 12 goes 13 and 0. Um, the SEC had, you know, it's kind of cool, and we're going to the SEC. I've got – I mean, I, I'm not fired up about that at all. I haven't been the whole time. It was probably the best move for UT. I don't like any of the moves that we had in front of us. Um, but the SEC, I mean, you know, if you're looking at Florida or if you're looking at especially LSU and Florida State, um, they got, you know, they got their asses handed to them to some degree considering that you expect – yeah, the SEC is a triple-A team, and everyone else is playing single-A ball, right? Are we about to see a down year for the SEC? I hope so. Driving at? Um, I mean, that's what we saw. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, a lot of these SEC, the, these early games, whether it's Oregon or Washington or whoever it was who's coming down to play whichever SEC team, which is pretty good because the SEC also has a lot of average teams, which is – been the joke the whole time too um but the top level top tier and those were ass kickings it was oregon coming down here and losing 51 to 10 
in in you know in in the uh, in New Orleans to Georgia or whatever. Like not close. 66 type 15 type games and for it to kind of turn the other way around and have two ass kickings score or not whether you want to say 24 11 is go watch that game it was an ass kicking and it was domination and to see that is um you know that with clemson who i think of as an sec team i mean clemson got beat last night period Score, uh, scoreboard or the clock, the way they're running it, the targeting, you know, there, yeah, there were, there were two fumbles, that's 14 points and two block kicks or a missed kick. And so that's, you know, 20 points, but they still got their ass kicked. Um, and I mean, more up, like up front for a long time, their offensive line's not that good. And their pass pro was better in the second half. I'm sorry, their run game was better in the second half. Their pass pro was not good the whole time. They dropped footballs. They couldn't get open on the outside. Well, Shipley's a good back. Uh, He's a good back. He's not ETN, uh, ETN's brother, Travis, or anything like that, or CJ Spiller. But he's a good – he's running back coach. But he's a good back. Klubnik did not play well at all. And I've seen Klubnik – I've seen him, like I said, play bad nine – nine bad quarters in my life. One was in an undefeated state championship year. I think his junior or senior year. And Bowie came in. And threw this real junk defense at him. And the first half threw him off. I had never seen him like that. And then his last game, in the bowl game, in this game. And he got better in the second half. He also threw some dimes that were dropped. But that's not the Kate Klubnik I know. It's going to take some time. You know, give him time to get used to it. But I also thought Garrett Riley would dial more up. Like, I expected Clemson just to look better. Yeah, I expected that also. I think in my weekly picks competition set up by Bob Ballou of KI, I had Clemson winning that game by whatever was uh, wider than the Vegas margin. And obviously that didn't happen. I don't think that they necessarily got worked by Duke. I think that they should have won that game. It's just one of those... One of those bizarre aspects of sports, though, where when it does get to nut... Uh, nut Crunching nut. What's the term? Why am I forgetting this right now? Too soon. Too nut soon. crunching time. <laughs> when it's getting to nut crunching time, they did not step up, whereas Duke did. And sometimes those those uh, those wounds were self inflicted. It wasn't as much about Duke doing something as much as it was Clemson doing a terrible job of executing. And while Klubnik wasn't great, some of that. You know, not to go too too Steve Sarkeesian on you here, but some of that was the offensive line not giving him time, and some of it was his receivers too. I counted three or four moments in the first half alone where his receivers dropped a football that was right on the money. Yeah. One time his receiver was an out route on the left side on third down. The best ball he had all night. I don't know why. And it was the third, third read too. That dude tried to alligator arm that versus yeah. sticking his his other his hand up and rotating his hand around to make the easy catch, and he probably would have had the first down too. He probably would have, and if you're a white wide receiver and you drop that, boy, you're dropping down my list even more. I got news for you. <laughs> yeah, that's white on white crime. I get that, but I mean, you got to catch that, brother. And you know, they had a couple drops. They're um, their offensive line is just not very good, man. But the outside's the biggest thing. They could not get open. And once again, as a Cade homer and Cade guy, Cade was not good. K 
Gabe would be the first to tell you that. He was not good. He's got to get a lot better. A lot of us who watch him for three years know now it's not going to be as easy as it was for him in high school. Big shocker. Like, it's going to take some time. But I've got more questions about – and getting back to your point, yeah, I mean, I, that, that's probably being hyperbolic. And I didn't mean like they got their ass kicked, obviously, score-wise even. But up front, I didn't think Duke – both lines would in the third quarter the defensive line started giving stuff up to Putnam and the interior offensive line for Clemson isn't bad. But I didn't think that their offensive line was going to open up that many holes. There were some long runs for Duke, man. And Klubnik was also under pressure a lot, considering those two programs going at it. That's the ass kicking I'm talking about, which was more probably 50 50 or 60 40 but i just i didn't think that that was gonna be happening that's a good point look oregon beat portland state 81 to 7 poor portland state it's a beautiful campus in portland one of the last few spots in that shithole of a city that hasn't been overrun by hobos but beating Portland State 81 to 7 matters very little. Oregon has an interesting game this weekend against a Texas Tech team that is looking to bounce back in a major way. That game is in Lubbock. I think Texas Tech finds a way to uh, figure enough out in six to seven days to knock off a, an Oregon team that is top 15 at this point? No. No, I don't. Um, it's college football, so. And Texas Tech could, like I said, get up by 14 points. And I'm telling you, false starts from the – if you get inside the 20. And, I mean, because they're clearly – was I wrong? Were they not restarting the clock after offensive and defensive penalties last night? I, didn't, I did not see that, but I'm going to be paying attention this weekend because I don't doubt that you saw that properly. I saw it more some, some coach is going to take advantage of that. It may be saving this weekend, but some coach – realizes what that rule is and he's going to make sure to milk it until they change the rule well you also know i was watching that game last night like a jewish mom with her bradley kellner and uh and some young female sitting on him i'm going to make sure i was watching that clock the i've never watched a clock more than i have that outside of like hunter lawrence before that kick and colt throwing out of bounds i mean i was focused on it and they kept on starting it and i thought oh my god you can you could you could win this game in the fourth quarter if you're up by a certain amount and just take penalties and literally walk outside the back of the end zone seven game minutes later. That's the exact thing that Belichick took advantage of a few years ago, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it wasn't that flagrant. I mean, I also didn't get the sense that the umpiring crew really had a handle on stuff last night. There's a shock. <laughs> A college officiating crew not being good at their jobs. Yeah, um, no, that's fair. Um, no, with, no. with all the with all the specialization of everything in twenty twenty three, how has officiating not gotten better? I I I mean, the game's only going quicker. I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, I know you're gonna laugh at this, but like home plate home plate umpires outside of like Angel Hernandez and a couple awful ones that should be fired. They do a pretty good job. I mean, I'm amazed they only miss two or three pitches or maybe five pitches in a game. Ball's coming a lot harder, a lot faster. This game's moving so quickly now. And they've got to babysit all this shit they didn't have to back in the day. Targeting all that shit. 
which I mean, it, it just, you know, it, it, it's very much our culture, the safety culture mixed with this greedy, I don't have any time to do anything very fast culture because I got stuff to do. And like those three things have come together and ruined one of the four things I have left in life. Fuck y'all. Do you think that that targeting call on Duke should have been left alone last night, even though the call kind of went their way in the end? No, I mean, I, I'm also not too much of an old man. But that, I that, get that's why I'm asking. I'm trying to get your gauge yeah. of where you are with this. No, no, I, I get where we're going on that. I mean, I, in my mind, is that targeting? No. Have I come to the point where I know that I want to keep, once again, I want to keep this sport alive. That's what I'm looking for and keep it as close as it can be to the beautiful, almost perfect sport. It has been my whole life. And head injuries are a big deal. So, and I've been very impressed with the younger generation. It reminds me of the DD Corvettes when guys couldn't hit with the shit and because they hadn't grown up using them. And now they have, and the bats have gotten a little more juiced up, but kids have gotten used to it. Kids have gotten used to tackling now. And I think it's probably a good thing. I'm actually not as old man as a lot of y'all think. I think the targeting for the mo- or the new tackling is probably for the most part a good thing. I think the MLB rules for the most part are a good thing and have helped. Um, but yeah, I mean that one with the new rules now, it was targeting to give Duke credit on that and to not get so if you get if you slide before, probably because you saw a guy launching and it's called targeting. You got to give him the first down, right? I don't like how the slide rule has become. As soon as you start your slide, that's where the play is stopped. But that is a direct result of trying to keep guys from lowering their heads and hitting the ball carrier, and usually the quarterback, as they're trying to go down. But. I guess the retort to that is that you as the quarterback and Clay Kate Clubden last night, which by the way, he was staying upright, picking up extra yardage and took some absolute shots from that defense to the point where I was getting a little bit concerned, a little Charlie Brewer style. So I kind of understood why he slid right there on that fourth down play, but Cade Klubnik has enough awareness to know that he probably needed to dive forward right there because his forward progress would be stopped as soon as he started into the slide. Second start of his career, y'all. Like, he's just getting going. You think Quinn, and we give Quinn breaks, and and I get it. Um, Second start of his career. So give him a little time. I think that type of stuff will be figured out. Outside of the the third and ten out route, which you talked about, really third read, that he put on a dime and the kid drops at 23, whatever it was. Um, his most impressive play may have been flagging down the cornerback on the fumble. <laughs> that fumble yeah. was not his fault. The other fumble probably was him. It was him and Shipley. You never know with that mesh who exactly, you know, it's probably a little both, probably more on Klubnik. That one was not his fault. He get, you know, number seven gets popped. It goes up in the air. He was on the four by 100 team at Westlake and he's got long strides. Like Klubnik is a really damn good athlete. And especially when he gets vertical. Klubnik was on the four by 100 relay team. Didn't realize that. Klubnik, Klubnik can fly. I mean, that, that was a cornerback. 
How many white Westlake quarterbacks are flagging down that guy? Even a Duke cornerback. It ain't happening. I got news for you. I played with Breeze. Breeze ain't doing that. Foles ain't doing that. Ellinger's not doing that. Plumnick can run. Hmm. All right. What else is on your mind today? Well, we may end up going a little early uh, here, but uh, I, I got to bring it up and I hate to do it. I mentioned it a little earlier, man, but um, I really had fun this year. Um, and I'd probably be an Astros fan right now if they would have been on this whole time. Even with the cheating, I still would have been an Astros fan and they're just not on. And I still kind of am, but I turned into a Rangers fan pretty damn quickly. It's a likable team. Um, I think Heim and Young going out when they did really hurt. Seager before that. You know, you tell me Jacob deGrom has an elbow injury that sidelines side him for the whole year. I would have said, well, how do I place that bet? That's not shocking. So that's on y'all. Evaldi being out, not shocking. Surprised John Gray has lasted as long as he has. But – Yesterday just felt like a dagger. And I understand you are still – you're a game and a, or a half game up on Toronto, who you're about to go play a four-game set with after Houston. And there's a lot in front of you. And I buried you all a couple times this year. You and BK know that. I was wrong. Dude, that just felt like – and Bochy's look with the bullpen. I, I It's going to be a tough go, man, to get in the playoffs. As nice as that Garcia moment was on Sunday, and even though the photo op was great because it was like him getting that proverbial proverbial monkey off the team's back, it does, doesn't change the fact that you have a bunch of rag arms coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. And that three-fifths of your – or two-fifths of your rotation isn't very good. Now, they get Eovaldi back tonight. Will he be able to stick around for the rest of the year? I hope so. I can go a long ways in helping this team out and maybe give this taxed bullpens from rest, but he's also probably going to be on a low pitch count tonight. Like what does he have? Maybe 70 or 80 pitches. They're just going to let him go 120, huh? To what? Gives you two innings, maybe three. What? Yeah, dude. No. He's not going. He's not he's not he's not going. I mean, Dave Raymond was talking about it last night. Dave Raymond and CJ are talking to everyone there. So he emphatically said multiple times, it is Dave Raymond, right? Yeah, that he goes, you know, probably two, maybe three innings. Maybe that's 70 pitches. You hope it's not, by the way. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, you're, you guys are – that bullpen is just – I never trusted it. Chapman was good when you first got him, and he looked really good. I've never trusted Will Smith. You know that. Um, you guys are also a year ahead of what most of us thought. So, like, use this as a learning experience. Corey Seager is – God, that guy is so good, man. He's hit a couple balls like his second home run, which was to center, I guess to left center, really center that most of us that watch a lot of games are not the people that are, you know, ah! you see a ball and you're like, that's not, you should be, you're the other way around. You're like, that's not going to get, that. oh my God. His ball has so much backspin and carry. Y'all have a lot of good stuff going on. I, I will say once again, I think young, I think Josh young being out 
has not been talked about enough. I understand it's a bullpen, but the offense has also had its weird hot and cold moments. You know, the you know, heck, even the last three games y'all have won have been by one run, skinning your teeth type stuff. One run and it's involved us blowing leads and having to come back right. to win it. Right. So not even a one run where it's like, dude, we were up six three, they got two in the ninth, but we felt good even the whole time. No, like you give up a lead and have to come back in extra innings. Their bullpen since July twenty first, I think I have this right. Six point two seven ERA, third worst in baseball. Like it's been dog shit, bro. Um, it's like it's the equivalent of the Giants on offense. The Giants are quote unquote in it right now. Giants have been two twelve since the All Star break. <laughs> You're not in it. And I'd much rather have like Seattle did for most of the year, no offense and good pitching and good defense, and say, hey, we're still in it. That'll keep you in it. And maybe the offense gets hot like Seattle has, but um, I, you know, I hope I'm wrong and maybe I will be, but I, I just, it just, I, and every Rangers fan I talk to as well, who watches as much, if not more than I do, has told me, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it just felt like a dagger yesterday. And that was a, that was a 13-6 ass kicking that really felt like an ass kick. According to Bruce Bochy, two days ago, Josh Young is two to three weeks away. So when he comes back, he not only helps with the plate, but he is also really good defensively at third, Great which point. ultimately does help your pitching, having better defense behind you. It's why Ezekiel Duran, as nice as he is at the plate, he's kind of a positionless guy right now. They tried him at third base for a little bit. I don't even know if that experiment is still going on. Not good. They had to make a change there. And so – Young being out leaves a void in, in two different important areas. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I yeah, That's a really good point about Young. Um, yeah, because Duran played short when Seager was out, played some in, with Josh Smith, who's hitting, you know, I know he had a home run. He's hitting Mendoza line below that. Um, they're just not – I mean, at the end of the day, I'm totally cool with them, but Robbie Grossman doesn't need to be your left fielder. Um, you know, th there are – Tavares has been up and down. There are holes in that lineup to where you look at Houston and yeah, I mean, Diaz will swing at everything, but you got Diaz and then what is it? Dubon, um, with two out, you know, hit ninth. That's just a much better lineup. It's a much deeper bullpen. It's right now just a better team and they're a game up and y'all have a tougher schedule the rest of the way. They've got an easier schedule strength of schedule percentage wise than you and Seattle. Seattle's too. Y'all have the toughest schedule. You gotta finish off. I mean, you could be going to Seattle out already outside of the wild card facing them and they're in it. And Boston's coming too. Well we talk baseball, Adam Wagner, his supersonic hearing apparently comes through because he immediately chimes in. <laughs> Through the YouTube comments with Bird, Birdland, and also on, bring that back up. Look at that pick. Yeah, he's got an axe in his hands. It's at the old Horn Studio. Yeah, he that up with Holiday just getting called up to Triple A staging move yeah. to get him up for postseason baseball. Those are the sorts of moves that can make a difference when you get to the postseason too. If a guy is capable of not just handling big league action, but making it happen in October. What do you think about that? I, I was thinking, I saw they brought him up in Jackson holiday. It's Matt holidays kid. Yeah. Uh, who's been 
fucking tearing it up, and they had to bring him up. They brought him up to double A before any of us thought. They're just tearing up high A ball. Goes up there, tears it up. I would still think next year, but, man, I like this Baltimore team. This Baltimore team in WAGs, you know it. It'll be like Kansas City when they won it. What was that 2015? You know, when you had Moustakas and Hosmer and Gordon and that whole crew, you knew Kansas City couldn't sign them. You've got a finite time to try and win a World Series. And Baltimore is the same thing in terms of their market and apparently the way the owner, you know, Angelus wants to play this. So you might as well get him up and get them all up as quickly as possible. And if he can't help out, like you said, maybe Jackson Holiday comes off the bench and helps him win a World Series as a pinch runner even. It's worth it, you know. Cubs are not a small market team, but our mentality is the same way as Royals fans or Orioles fans. We got one in our lifetime. Whatever we got to do, burn it, burn that candle, and let's go for it. And as Wags says in finishing us off today, Kevin, and Angelos, that would be John Angelos, won't spend a penny. Yeah. So and enjoy Peter's your night, Wags. Yeah, and Peter's 94. God knows where he's at mentally. I mean, he probably got, you know, couple escorts next to him with whatever cheap old you know beer or wine he likes to drink and i don't know if he's still calling shots or not but john calling shots getting any better oh he's probably freezing up like mitch mcconnell on a monday it makes me wonder when jerry's gonna start doing that too by the way jerry's got to be a few years away from just completely locking up when asked a question i will say that it's funny i mean you mentioned uh mcconnell i mean how can we get rid of like more than half of the Republicans and Democrats that are 90 or older. Who's the, uh, who's the, the California chick for the Feinstein. Team? Yeah. Like, so this is truly, if you're on one side of the team, you're going to hate half this and like the other. There's probably, a, or there's younger ones on both sides who are fucking batshit crazy. Can we get rid of all of them and, and, and restart? And while you're at it, I'll vote for the person who gets college football's clock back to normal. <laughs> I don't care what else your politics are. I really don't care. I just want to see a Mitch McConnell, Diane Feinstein staring contest. If you do that, then I'm happy with everything else. He is Kevin Dunn. Katie, thank you so much today, my friends. Bye, guys. Good times. We'll see you Thursday. Thank you to everyone who watched and listened today. If you are on YouTube right now and have not already, please subscribe to Texas Sports Unfiltered and make sure to click thumbs up on the day-long stream. For Kevin Dunn and everyone else at Texas Sports Unfiltered, I am Trey Elling. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, hook them.